Our Heavenly Father, we come before you to partake of your Holy Spirit. Please open our eyes and our hearts to the message we're going to hear tonight. In the name of Yeshua, Mashiach. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, this has certainly been an interesting study. Um, we had gone through the book of Acts uh, several years ago and uh, did one of our 5 to 15 year plan for the book of Acts as we've done with, with uh, Hebrews and some of the other. This, this time we felt uh, led to do a, a more um, focused study um, sort of like a, a biographical sketch um, of, uh, of some of the key players in the book of Acts and uh, it's been a stretch for me I hope it's been a blessing for you all um, just to give you a little bit of a heads up uh, next week the plan is to dive into the life of Peter um, I will be gone the following week uh, and Michael will be teaching on Barnabas and then we'll have a couple of weeks um, to give attention to Paul and then possibly we'll finish the first week in September so just to kind of give you a heads up um, also once the holidays start uh, we're going to cancel a bunch of the Bible studies because there's just too much with the holidays coming up. Um, by the way, Rosh Hashanah is 29th of September. Uh, yes. The 15th of September is the week of prayer. So please put that on your calendars and uh, plan to engage with that and get the blessings. Um, so tonight we're going to look at Timothy. Um, you know, in in all the years that I've been teaching uh, Scripture, and it's been quite a few, um, I've never paid much attention to Timothy. Timothy is not one of these guys that stands out. You know, he's he is not like Peter. You know, who. Uh, Boldly goes where, where, where no fisherman has gone before. Um, and he is not like Paul, you know, Mr. Mack Truck, who uh, is stoned and gets up and goes to the next town and preaches. Um, Timothy is different. And so it, it was interesting for me to um, do some digging and... Uh, Frank, I can relate more to Timothy than I can to Paul, most assuredly. Um, so, let's see what we know about, uh, about Timothy. First of all, turn in Acts uh, to chapter 14, and we'll read together. We'll be kind of skipping around quite a bit um, in order to get a good picture. So, Acts 14, verses 6 to 20. Um, and Sylvia, if you have it, would you read it, please? But they found out about it and fled to the Lyo 
near the cities of Lystra and Derby and the surrounding countryside. There they proclaimed the good news. Now a man was sitting in Lystra without strength in his feet, lame from birth, who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. When Paul looked intently at him and saw that he had faith to be healed, he said in a loud voice, Stand right up on your feet. And the man leaped up and began to walk around. Now the crowd, seeing what Paul had done, lifted up their voices, saying in like Lyonian, The gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes, because he was the main speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was before the front gate of the city, brought bowls and garlands. He wanted to offer a sacrifice with the people. But when the emissaries Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their clothes and rushed out among the crowd, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We too are human, just like you. We proclaim the good news to you, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to go their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without a witness. He did good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling your hearts with joy and gladness. Even saying these things, they barely restrained the crowd from sacrificing to them. But Jewish people came from Antioch and Iconium, and after they won the crowd over and stoned Paul, they were dragging him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples surrounded him, he got up and went back into the city. On the next day, he left with Barnabas for Derby. After proclaiming the good news to that city and making many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Uh, am I supposed to go to 20? Uh, that's fine. Strengthening <laughs> the disciples and encouraging. All right. Thank you, uh, Sylvia. Well, uh, this is a wild episode, isn't it? Yeah. All right. What What do you glean uh, from this story about the people who lived in Lystra? They were pagans. They were pagans. Okay. How pagan were they? Were these pagans? These are low information voters. <laughs> Very good. Yes, low information voters. They were not like the Athenians, who were very, or the uh, Corinthians, who were very sophisticated. Uh, these were your low, very low, basic uh, pagans, uh, bottom feeders. Because at this point, uh, the Greeks, a lot of the Greeks, had come away from the notion of really believing in, in Zeus and, and Hermes and so on. I mean, it was part of their mythology, and they had temples, but they were too sophisticated for that, or they thought they were too sophisticated. The people in Lystra, on the other hand, had no doubt that Zeus was real, and they obviously uh, believed that Zeus is able to do things, which is frankly, in some ways, more than the Corinthians and the Athenians. Uh, were spiritually. So, um, what else do we know about about the the people of Lystra? There was just, 
they were just going to worship Paul and Barnabas because they do the miracle. And, and there wasn't anybody who was doing good, uh, anything. Okay. It was just following anybody. <laughs> uh, there obviously is no reference to a synagogue. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay, which tells you how many Jews were there. No. Well, no, Maybe. don't say none. There were some, but not too many. Not enough for a synagogue, okay? Uh, uh, what else do we know about Lystra? Lystra or Lystrans? Lystra. The city itself. The city itself, yes. And yes, the people, obviously. The Laconians, because Derby and was also part of the same group, they spoke the same dialogue, dialect. I can only say something about the people, but they seem rather extreme. Um, whatever they do, they do with a full heart. Either they, I mean, and, you know, they go back and forth because on the one hand they're ready to embrace them as, as Zeus and Hermes and so forth, and the next moment, well, of course, they seem to be easily moved or very emotional, in other words. Here come some Jewish people along and they're easily moved to go and do something else. It's like they don't seem to be very level-headed. They're fickle. Mm -hmm. They're fickle. Uh, they will buy anything and everything. Um, and by the way, just for the sake of geography, and, and I, I've repented from the sin of trying to draw you uh, geographical maps. You can see those in the back of your Bibles. Uh, where is Lystra? General, general idea. I don't need the precise uh, longitude, and uh, uh, longitude and latitude. Somewhere around the Turkey. This is Greece over here, somewhere here is Turkey, you have some of these others around there, somewhere around there. Somewhere around there, that's very precise. <laughs> Asia Minor, you're saying? Lystra uh, was more or less in the center of what we now know as Turkey. Okay? Um, and there's some debate among, among the airheads, I mean the uh, scholars, um, whether this was officially part of the province of Galatia or just outside of it. Um, okay. What else do we know about this area? Think about Acts. Acts chapter 2. Let's go back to Acts chapter 2. Keep your finger here. Acts chapter 2. Read the list of people uh, Jewish people, primarily pilgrims, who were at Shavuot, at Pentecost. Robert, sir. Acts uh, uh, 8 and 9, I believe. Acts chapter 2, verses 8 and 9? Yeah. Parthians. And oh, why don't you back up one verse? How is it that we each hear our own birth language? Parthians and Vietnam. Midis and Elamites, and those living in Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Argia, Phrygia, Phrygia. Yeah. How about the next one? Pamphylia. Pamphylia. <laughs> Sounds like a disease. Really. <laughs> Egypt and parts of Libya, toward Cyrene, and visitors from Rome both Jewish people and proselytes. Okay. Uh, if, if you were uh, somewhat uh, OCD, like I tend to be sometimes, 
you would want to know where Phrygia and Pamphylia are, are uh, just to calm you. Uh, they're both in the same area where Lystra was. So connect the dots. Here you have uh, people who Jewish people and Gentile proselytes who come on the on the day of Shavuot, the day of Pentecost. Um, here Peter and several thousand of them are zapped. We don't know exactly from what geographical region who came from where, etc. But we're told that there were a ton of people from that general area. So here, uh, hopefully we'll connect the dots in, in just a moment or so. Um, so Paul and Barnabas share the good news, and this is about more or less about 20 years after Pentecost. Okay, uh, this is Paul's um, first, first, second, second missionary journey, and uh, not a great beginning in some ways. But notice uh, at the end of this section, um, the the um, Lystrans. And, and the Jewish opponent, Stone Paul, dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. And boom, he looks up and, okay, this is not going to be a great day, but... Uh, verse 20, after the disciples had gathered around him, which disciples are we talking about? Hello? You mean the ones that came, that had heard Peter and were back in? Well, it's either that, or it's possible that the disciples that are being mentioned here are people who heard Paul and Barnabas and were convicted of the truth of the gospel right there on the spot. So you're looking at two potential groups of, of people who, who had come to faith, possibly those who came... Um, in Acts chapter 2, at Shavuot, Pentecost, and those who came to faith right then and there. We don't know for sure uh, either one of them. So, uh, this is kind of a background. Uh, and then in Acts chapter 16, turn to that. My computer is uh, being unfriendly. Okay, now, um, this is the next go-around for, for Paul. And uh, chapter 16, verse 1. And uh, let's read down to verse 6. And Steve. Yeah. Now Paul came to Derby and Lystra. There was a disciple there named Timothy, son of a woman who was a Jewish believer and a Greek father who was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him for the sake of the Jewish people in those places, for they all knew that his father was Greek. As they were traveling through the cities, they were handing down rulings that had been decided upon by the emissaries and elders in Jerusalem for them to keep. So Messiah's communities were strengthened in the faith and kept increasing daily in number. They went through the region of 
Pergia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Ruach HaKodesh to speak the word in Asia. Thank you. Um, here, here you have the first introduction of Timothy. Um, we don't know exactly how old he is. A young man in his 20s most likely. Uh, a third generation believer. Um, his father was Greek. Uh, now you notice that it says that his father was Greek and his mother was Jewish and a believer. What does that suggest about the father? He was not. Well, maybe not. The mother was Jewish and a believer. The father, all we're told about is that the father was Greek. What is missing in the description of the father? Not a believer. He's not a believer. He's not a believer. And it's pretty clear when we look at, at the letter to Timothy that talks about his mother and grandmother that you get the impression that the dad is not on the scene. Either he left or he died. In any case, whatever it is that Timothy got, he got from the maternal side. His father had no spiritual contribution to make in this case. Um, keep your finger in, in Acts 16 and turn to 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. And then we'll come back to Acts 16. Joanne, looks like you're ready to read. Is it 14 to 15? Yes. You, however, continue in what you have learned and what you have become convinced of. For you know from whom you have learned and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to make you wise, leading to salvation through trusting, trusting in Messiah Yeshua. Okay. Um, sorry, I was in La La Land. Did, did you mention Lois? No, that's not the same that's verse. That's not in what you asked for. Okay. <laughs> I was in La La Land. I apologize. Ah, Second uh, Timothy, one, uh, verse five. Okay, verse five. I'll excuse myself. I recall the genuine faithfulness within you, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure it is within you as well. Okay. So here you have a guy uh, who, as a child, uh, was taught about Yeshua, taught scripture, both from a Jewish perspective, from the Tanakh, and, and from the Good News. Um, so that all this percolates and stays within him and becomes part of him. Paul is convinced that this guy is a genuine believer. Let's come back to, uh, to Acts chapter 16. Verse 2, the Acts, the brothers... In Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Now, what does that suggest to you? Lystra. 
where was Iconium? Was a few a few miles away. Yeah, yeah. Galatia, I believe. Well, it was the same general area. Um, there was a synagogue in Iconium. So, um, what does it suggest to you about who Timothy is, even as a young man, probably in his twenties? Wasn't good. I mean, maybe the good man, religious. He has a good reputation. He has a wonderful reputation. But Not it's also very well-rounded because he has from both the believing side and from the synagogue side. Ah, uh, again, there is no synagogue in Lystra. Right, but um, but if he had good report among the people of the synagogue. I don't think the believers at that point had established a synagogue of their own, had they? No, no, definitely not. So but if the brothers have a good rapport with him at the synagogue, that's saying that he has a, a rapport inside it, maybe the Jewish, the non-believing Jewish community. Possibly, but, but the point is, here you have uh, people from two different cities who know this guy, and think well of him. That's a great reputation for a guy in his mid, in his twenties, probably. Okay, so um, and and here you have Paul, who just being introduced to this guy says, "I want to take him." Now, if you know anything about Paul, you know that he was not in the habit of saying, "Yeah, I." I like your mustache. You're going to come with me. Remember, remember the, the 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 big hairy fight that Paul and Barnabas had over Mark. Uh, if 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 you don't if you don't measure up, you're history. And so for Paul to look at Timothy and say, "Yeah, you've got a great reputation, and I want you to come along and and do the work of the ministry with me," that's big stuff. Um, now the, the the circumcision part is that the Jewish people in in the area uh, knew who who his parents were, and so at this point, uh, being Jewish went by the way of the mother, and so they they're looking at Timothy and saying, "There's something wrong with you. You should have been circumcised." In other words, there's nothing you can say to me about Yeshua or anything else because you have nothing to say because you've not been circumcised. Hang on, ladies, both of you. Uh, I'm getting... I can see the... Uh, they... they um, uh, and, and, and this is what Paul means in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that... that if you are someone who is presenting the good news of Yeshua, you should not be presenting it alongside all kinds of other stuff that will cause people to disregard what it is you have to say about Yeshua. You know, um, if, if you're someone who thinks that global warming is stupid, then you're not going to talk about Yeshua and global warming because people who don't believe in Yeshua are going to disregard what you have to say about Yeshua because they'll be um, distracted by, by other issues, secondary issues. And so what Paul 
is doing is what Paul always did, and that is you put Yeshua first, everything else has to be secondary. Now, which one of the ladies do I pick on? I was just, um, he was, because um, it was through his mother. Correct. Right? Did, um, my understanding is at that point, it was still basically reckoned to the father. So is it a case of in, then either through the mother or through the father, they were going to consider him Jewish? It wasn't Jewish. Um, my understanding, and obviously that there's room for disagreement, in biblical time, it was definitely patri patri patrilineal, yeah. biblical time, because so-and-so uh, begat so-and-so, and, and, and the father begat so-and-so. However, understand that by the first century, you were having rabbinic uh, thinking develop, and so rabbinic theology went on to say that the, uh, the identity of the child goes by the mother, uh, for the simple reason that you started to have some persecution and God knows all kinds of stuff. And so with the mother, you knew who the mother was. With the father, God knows who. But was it hard and fast? Huh? Was it a hard and fast rule? In other words, now it's like in the Orthodox, it's cemented thing you do through your mother. But then was it a case of... Years. Hard and fast? Well, no. look. Because look, look that, let's put it this way. Here you have a 20-year-old man who is undergoing circumcision. That uh, Paul felt it was important enough to have this guy go through that. No, I, I understand that. And so, so the, the point is, it says, for the sake of the Jewish people, that simply means that as they're traveling, sharing Yeshua from place to place and speaking to Gentiles and Jews, that the Jewish people would would completely turn them off and say, you have nothing to say because the covenant with Abraham says you circumcise a child. Yeah, that's very basic. Yeah. yeah that's, not, that's not my point. <laughs> Your point is? My point is... Um, Around that time, you had both, you are Jewish through your father, but here was a case of a guy who, he still had one Jewish parent. It's not like he had none. Right. And he was going to be going around talking. And obviously, they did not, she married a, a Greek, and she didn't, she was Hellenized. She didn't bother to have him, Timothy, circumcised as a child. Paul wanted to make sure that that aspect was taken care of. What I'm simply saying is, let us suppose it was reversed, and that his father was Jewish and his mother was not. Wouldn't Paul still consider that the son had to be circumcised? Possibly, but but part of reality is, if if the father was was Jewish, guaranteed he would have seen to it that, that the son was circumcised. Okay. So my question, it was partly that, but this: if she, if the mother considered him to be Jewish, because right. it's through who, a, why would she not have circumcised him? because she considered him to be Jewish. B, he's already well-respected uh, in the community, having not been circumcised, right? And Yeah, but, but, but it, it specifically says he is well-respected by the brothers. Yeah. And the brothers is, is a very specific term referring to believers in Yeshua, not to those in the Jewish community. 
So what you're saying is it did not matter that to the brethren and the brothers, just Jewish believers or Gentile believers or anyone, that wouldn't have mattered so much that he wasn't circumcised. But to the unbelieving Jewish people... Correct. It, it was an issue of how do we communicate the good news of Yeshua without, without this issue poking them in the eye. How would they have known? All right, uh, folks, uh, this can get rank, and we're not going to go there. Uh, I think I have an answer to that question. What's the answer? Women had no rights back then, so if the father wasn't Jewish, the father would have said no. And that's basically what, what, where I was leading. Yeah. Uh, that, that the Jewish people would have known this guy's father is Greek. There's no way that this father would have, would have seen to it that the boy was circumcised. Right. So by inference. By strong inference. Yeah, okay. So we've laid the circumcision <laughs> issue to, to no, bed, so to speak. No, we can put the haven't. seedy side of the issue away. All right. Bob? At some point in time, Soon, I think, circumcision becomes unimportant. Physical circumcision. It's a circumcision of the heart. Unimportant to whom? To Paul. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I missed that. Okay, and, and this is something, when we talk about Paul, uh, hopefully we, we will wrestle with the issue of uh, what is Paul saying and to whom and what is he communicating, and to whom? Because part of, and I'm going to go off on a tangent here to answer your question, Bob. Uh, part of the issue is that people don't understand that when you engage in a polemic, you say one thing, versus when you engage with people to give them a basic understanding of, of what you really believe, are going to look to two separate things. With the Galatians, Paul had one thing in mind. He wanted to make sure that these guys didn't go off the tracks. Can you define polemic for those that may not know? Okay, polemic, polemic is a very strong emotional argument that is designed to grab the, the person and bring him back online. And that's what Galatians is? That's what Galatians is. It's not like Romans where Paul lays out you know, you, you go from here to here, very systematic. Galatians, unlike the rest of Paul's letters, um, I mean, to give you an example, he starts off by saying, he doesn't say Paul, the apostle, bond slave of Yeshua, and so on, so, so forth. He starts off by saying, what's the matter with you idiots? So, you know, that sets the tone. And furthermore, uh, what he will say in Galatians is going to be designed to get them to see something, and and he will make, frankly, some outrageous statements in order to get their attention. So because of that, people have looked at Paul and said he is antinomian, he is anti-Torah, because of the statements that he makes in Galatians. However, people then misunderstand who Paul is because they don't come and compare what he says in Galatians with how he lives his life in, in the book of Acts. He says, I have always lived according to the Torah. I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. So, uh, 
It's not that Paul is talking out of both sides of his mouth. I want to be very clear in making that, making sure we understand that. Um, circumcision as something that brings on a relationship with God is insignificant because what really is, what God is looking for is matters of the heart. Okay? However, as a sign of covenant faithfulness to God, it is very important. So you have to define terms and where people get confused is that they don't define what are we talking about. Okay? Another example, and then I'll leave that alone, where, where Paul is saying, in Messiah, we're all one. There's no difference. Well, the answer to that is? Yes, yes. and no. And no. Obviously, how we come to know the Lord is exactly the same way, by faith, because we hear the good news, we choose to receive it, and we come into the kingdom. However, does that mean that we are all the same? Absolutely not. Last time I checked, and to be perfectly gross, we don't use a unisex bathroom here. <laughs> right? We're men and women, or Jews and Gentiles, young men and older men, and so on and so forth. So, you have to define what is being said and what is not being said. So, just to clarify, Paul did choose to circumcise Timothy based on what we're talking about. But he didn't always take that practice, for example, with like Titus, where he chose not to circumcise Titus. In fact, in fact, Paul in Galatians makes it very clear that he was flatly opposed. In fact, he was uh, vociferous. He was loud in opposing people who wanted to circumcise Titus. Why? Because Titus had no business being circumcised he was not physically part of Abraham. He was not physically part of the covenant with Abraham. That part of the covenant did not apply to him. And the Galatians were so dense, they assumed that the only way I can have a relationship with God is that I become Jewish, that I become circumcised, etc., etc. Hope that... That helps. Okay. So, uh, Timothy then starts to travel with Paul, wherever they go. Again, this is pretty amazing stuff. Um, and just a couple of places, we'll see that um, we see that they, uh, they travel uh, where did they travel to? They traveled wherever Paul went uh, Timothy and uh, Timothy and uh, Silas went, and Silas was sort of like the the, the more senior one of the apprentices. Uh, looks like Timothy was the the second, um, but uh, even so, he is considered to be one of Paul's helpers, not helpers like uh, a gopher. You know, go go get me some coffee. But helpers in the the Greek word for helpers there um, comes from um, the akonos, um, which 
obviously means um, servant. It also means uh, minister. I mean, it means a bunch of things. Uh, obviously, in this case, uh, Paul is referring to to Timothy and Titus and, and Silas rather as as his fellow ministers. Um, the word we use in Hebrew is shamash. Shamash, yes, yes. Um, okay, Bob, you look a little puzzled. Uh, I always look that way. <laughs> shamash. And by the way, um, on Hanukkah, the middle candle is called a shamash, a servant candle, because we use it to light all the other candles. All right, so um, where we get a bunch of information about Timothy is from, from Paul's letters. And by the way, Paul mentions Timothy 14 times uh, in his letters. I don't know about you, that's pretty significant. No one else is mentioned in Paul's letters that many times. Um, and he'll start out by saying, Paul and Silas and Timothy and so on and so forth. Um, brother, but... Um, let's see, where am I looking at? I'll find you. Give me a, a minute, folks. Um... Could I just ask a question? Was, yes, ma'am. Was Silas a Jew? Uh, possibly. We don't really know. We don't really know uh, anything about Silas other than he, he was one of the helpers. Do you know how old Timothy lived to be? Um, we don't know other than uh, 2 Timothy... Um, is written when Paul was a very old man, um, possibly in his late 60s, and Timothy was probably connected with him at this point about 15 or 20 years, so possibly up to about 40 maybe. Uh, and at this point, in 2 Timothy, Paul tells him, um, don't drink so much water, because it's not good for your stomach. Uh, drink, drink some wine because you've been sickly a lot. He's not hypochondriac. He just he's someone who's not rugged constitution. Um, let me find what I'm looking for. Yes, I know. We'll all go get some wine. Uh, So, in, in some places, Paul refers to him as my fellow worker. Um, okay, Philippians 1 is what I was looking for. Philippians 1, verse 1. Just a short, itty-bitty little verse. And do I have a reader for that? Who said yes? Someone from Aberdeen. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, that's someone. Please read. Paul and Timothy, slaves of Messiah Yeshua, to all the Kedoshim and Messiah Yeshua who are in Philippi, 
with the overseers and servant leaders. Okay, and my focus is on this one little itty bitty verse servant, doulos, bondservant. Um, Paul refers to himself as bondservant. Uh, and by the way, again, because Paul is, comes from a Jewish background, he's not just thinking of the Greek idea of doulos, the servant, he's thinking about Evan Adonai. Um, servants of, of, of the Lord, servant of Yeshua, in his mind comes back to Evid Adonai. And, and who were the people who were designated as Evid Adonai, the servants of the Lord? You had Moses, you had David, you had Elijah, and you have Messiah. So for Timothy to be described as an Evid Adonai, a bondservant of Yeshua, what does that tell you about the guy? He had stroke. He was special. Hmm? He was good. Can you d expand the word good, John? He was holy. He was committed. He was faithful to, to serve God. Absolutely. Absolutely. Again, we're, we're looking at a guy who is may maybe at this point in his 30s. Okay? Um, and, and in, uh, a, in a big way. In a big way. In a huge way. Yeah, because if he's compared to Moses and Elijah, I mean, those are heavy hitters. Yeah, and and he Paul compares <laughs> Paul compares Timothy to himself, because in all these letters it says Paul and Timothy, Paul and and Timothy bond servants of Yeshua. Um, First Corinthians four seventeen. No, excuse me, beg your pardon. Philippians 2.22. Go ahead, Barb. Uh, but you know Timothy's proven character, that he served with me in spreading the good news like a son with his father. Okay. Uh, another translation on that. Irene, would you read that? Okay, from the NIV. Yeah. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Okay, that's the word I was looking for. In, in, in the Greek, the, the word proved is this word here, dokime. And I'm not trying to impress anybody with my knowledge. Uh... This is a very special word that comes from metallurgy, uh, from, from goldsmithing. Uh, a per, uh, you, you would test a metal by heating it so that uh, it would melt, and then you would come and, and scoop out the scum and purify the metal. And that was the process of refining the metal or proving that it was pure. So, so whenever you see, you know, if you were to dive into the, the, the language studies, whenever you see that, you know that it's speaking about someone who has been proven, but someone who has been proven through testing, which suggests what? Suffering. Suffering. 
something we all love, right? Well, the suffering back then was for real suffering. It was, you know. Uh, anybody traveling with Paul knew that this was not a club med kind of an experience. <laughs> you know, you uh, you share Yeshua and you get beaten, and stoned, and Lord knows what what else would happen by the by the Jewish opponent by by the non-Jewish opponents. You know, you read the book of Acts and you see that people were equal opportunity abusers. So uh, Timothy uh, proves himself and Paul ends himself uh, in verse 19. We're still in, in Philippians 2, right? Yes. Okay, verse back up to verse 19. Go ahead, Barb. Uh, but I hope in the Lord Yeshua to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too might be encouraged when I know the news about you. Okay. So, um, again, here's a young man that you send as your delegate, as your representative, to speak for you in a different city. What does that suggest about the level of confidence and authority that you're willing to put in this guy. Complete trust. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Timothy would go as Paul's apostolic representative and carry that same kind of weight that Paul had. Now, this, this is all on one hand. On the other hand, the letters that Paul writes to Timothy give us a totally different perspective. Not totally different, but a somewhat different, kind of like two sides of the coin of who Timothy was. Um, 1 Timothy 4.12. And we'll kind of skip around for the sake of time in a, a number of these. Uh, 1 Timothy 4.12, and then 2 Timothy 1.8. And so, first of all, um, Bob. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but be, become an example of the faithful in speech, in conduct, in love, in faithfulness, and in purity. Okay. So what does that imply? He's young. Hmm? He's young. He's young? Okay, anything else? He's young, but an example of a more mature individual. Okay, why does Paul have to tell him don't let anybody look down on you. Because quite likely that people looked at him, looked down their long Semitic proboscis, their noses, and said, who are you to tell me blah, 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 blah. And remember, especially when you read uh, in Second Corinthians, and you see how people were putting funny business with Paul, you can see how they would do that with a guy who is significantly younger. Uh, 2 Timothy 1.8. Well, let's, let's start with uh, 2 Timothy 1.6-7 and then 1.8. Uh, yes. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hand. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. Okay. So 
Can I go on? Yeah, go ahead. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the good news according to the power of God. Okay. So, again, as you read between the lines, what do you get from Paul's statements? Why would you say to someone, fan into flame your gift? Maybe someone who's not very bold. Someone who's definitely not very bold, and someone who is standing kind of saying, oh, who am I? You know, what am I? You know, uh, my gift? Well, other people are more gifted. Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Fan into flame. Take what God has given you through the laying on of my hands and, and go for the gusto. Um, because God has not given us a spirit of timidity. Why does he say that? If Timothy was Mr. Bold, would he have to say, huh? Because he's timid. He's timid. What you see emerging from all of this, as you read uh, uh, these two letters, is Timothy is, on one hand, he is faithful. Uh, he does the work. On the other hand, he's someone who clearly has a good degree of insecurity and somewhat sickly, uh, which is why Paul has to again and again, and you see the statements that he makes in these letters are strong statements. Yeah? I'm thinking to um, Timothy probably felt a little stronger when um, Paul was by his side, but once Paul was in the prison to think, Paul is now launching me off into this, and he probably felt very much, much out of his depth, which is sort of sometimes the way I think the Lord pushes all of us to, do, to go into directions we don't really care for. Absolutely. Absolutely. Since God is the boss, He reserves the right to shove us into the deep end of the pool. Plus, He was affected by other people's opinions of Him. Obviously. And it's very discouraging. Obviously. Yeah. Um, and, and the truth is, all of us have buttons that someone can push and say, Who are you to tell me such and such and such? And, and what Paul is saying to Timothy is, Timothy... Don't go there. This is not about you being young. This is about you being a servant, a bond servant, doulos, or Eved Adonai, being a servant of God. You need to function according to the gifts, and you need to function with authority. Authority, by the way, means what? Delegated power. Thank you, Michael. Power that is delegated uh, in order to get something accomplished. It's sort of like um, somebody from the government is being sent to overseas to Israel, whatever, and is given the power to conduct diplomacy. Same kind of thing. So, Timothy, um, some of the statements Paul makes, very clear. Fight a good fight. You kind of get the impression that Paul is like on sidelines, like a cheerleader, uh, going, go team, go. And... Uh, um, well, he was in jail, and a lot of people would have probably assumed that he was doing the wrong thing based on the fact that he had gotten thrown in jail for the good for the sake of the good news, and that's why I think he also adds that point of don't be don't be ashamed of the fact that suffering comes with the gospel. And you bet that there are people who are critical of Paul from all kinds of different angles. You know, you read Second Corinthians, you see that. 
Paul got it from the unbelievers, he got it from so-called believers. Um, but the, the, uh, and, and by the way, apparently there was some kind of connection between Timothy, and not only Timothy, but the writer of Hebrews. We're not sure who the writer of Hebrews was, but in chapter 13 of Hebrews, uh, the writer is saying, Timothy is about to be released from prison, and he's going to come and see you. So, the, the, Timothy had to, um, had to suffer. So, I want to finish with this one verse here. Um, 2 Timothy 2.3. Judy, if you have it. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Messiah Yeshua. Okay, this is a verse that I was expected to memorize in my youth, believe it or not. Um, what, what it says is basically we're suffering and I want you to join in with us. I mean, that's the language. Suffer together with us. Join in with us. Not just endure, but uh, as a soldier. Again, this is part of the rah-rah kind of a message that Paul gives Timothy um, to say to him, yes, you're going to suffer, but you're a soldier and you, you don't have any, any options to back off and say, you know, I'm kind of sickly today, I'll have some wine for my stomach's sake, and so on and so forth. Um, so, just to pull some things together here. Uh, here you have a guy who is mentioned a lot in the New Testament, New Covenant. Uh, unlike Peter and Paul and some of these other guys, you don't see any miracles that are specifically mentioned as re being related to him that he did. Possibly that he did, but uh, we don't have any record of it. And yet, he spent a fair amount of time working as Paul's apprentice, going from here to here to here. Um, and he was faithful, which is a huge quality as far as God is concerned. Why? Why is faithfulness a huge quality? You can be trusted. It's a character of God. Yeah. It's one of God's characteristics. God is faithful. He expects us to be faithful. Not and it's something that's saying, it's always questioned in the Tanakh, you know, who is faithful among men? It says that several times, I think, in the Tanakh. And, and also in, in the New Covenant, it says, it is expected, demanded, that a servant be found faithful. That's on 2 Timothy 2.13. If we believe not, um, if we believe not, yet he abided faithful, he cannot deny himself. That's yeah, that's that's exactly that's it. Nature. That's God's nature, and if we're God's kids, if we're born from from above, then what will need to be reproduced in us, in one form or another, is a basic degree of faithfulness. Unlike the Lystrans in chapter thirteen, I like I like those guys who are uh, <laughs> kind of all over, um, and and this is part of the growth to maturity that that the Lord expects from us, is to demonstrate faithfulness, like He is faithful. 
um, again, you see a guy who, at least for me, is a wonderful model uh, of what it's like to serve God. You know, he's not like Paul, who says, I, I was beaten, I was shipwrecked, I was this, that, it's all piddly stuff. Uh, Timothy, on the other hand, is someone who has to be coaxed and has to be encouraged and has to be nudged and, and, and has to be uh, challenged, you know, fight the good fight and so on and so forth. Uh, reread uh, the letters uh, uh, to Timothy and see how many times you have this very strong language, commands that Paul issues to Timothy to make sure that, that he stays on track. Somehow, at the end of the day, he does. Yes, ma'am. Um, I was um, I felt that in uh, this book, um, Paul is coming. Um, you know, he says that the time of his, you know, he's being poured out like a drink offering. The time of his departure is at hand. And I, I always sort of assumed in a way that part of his urgency with Timothy is because he feels he's going on, and and he wants to make sure Timothy is you know, really fully able to carry the, carry on the work. So I have always, that's always the impression I sort of got that part of a pause urgency when he does all this, you know, fight the good fight and da da da, is like, you know, you're trying to make sure everything's in order before you leave. Yes and no. Okay. Uh, you have the same tone in First Timothy as in Second Timothy. First Timothy, uh, Paul is under house arrest but he has lots of freedom. He is able to see people. Uh, he is able to send messengers back and forth. Um, he suspects, that, with good reason, that he's going to be released. He's talking about traveling to different places, including Spain. Uh, and yet, he gives Timothy that same kind of a tone of urgency. And you're right, in Second Timothy, he is, he is in a dungeon. He knows the end is near, and yes, he has that urgency, but, but that is something you find Paul giving to Timothy both, both times, because he knew he, uh, Timothy needed that. And don't you think, too, I mean, one thing we didn't even get into is the fact that he writes to Timothy the two letters while he's the chief teacher at uh, Ephesus. And Ephesus was a story in and of itself. Right. Ephesus was, was another rough place for the, the good news of Yeshua. Um, so yeah, uh, Timothy has uh, been given authority to, uh, to represent Paul in Ephesus and in, other, in, in Thessalonica and other places. Um, but he comes like a lot of us, you know. We have these arguments with the Lord, like, Lord, are you sure you really want me? Blah, 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 like, even like Moses. And at the end of the day, the answer is, yes. Michael, finish for us, please. Father, we thank you for um, our continued look into the album, in a sense of these different characters and people in your work. We thank you, Lord, for their lives, for the example they set before us of who we're to be, and especially how they reflect Yeshua and reflect you. We pray, Lord, that uh, you would be with us on our way home. We thank you for this teaching, and we pray that it goes deep 
and bring us all back together on Shabbat. And we give you much glory and honor in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen.